You're listening to a sermon from Oak Hill Fellowship Church, located in Strasburg, Pennsylvania. You can learn more about us by visiting oakhillfellowship.com or finding us on social media. Now grab a Bible, a notebook, and get ready to be spiritually enriched by the Word of God. So here's my one plea with you for the whole night. You can see it in the notes handout when you walked in. Hopefully you received one of those. Don't leave the best gifts of Christmas in their packages and forget to use them. Don't leave the best gifts of Christmas in their packages and forget to use them. The gifts of God's grace came in a cradle and on a cross and in a tomb. And the best part of those gifts is the fact that those packages are empty. They're empty. The work has been finished. Jesus is now exalted to the highest place and He wants to change our lives forever. And so would you pray with me that He would have an effect on our hearts tonight? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this opportunity to gather together and to reflect on who You are and what You have done in Jesus Christ. Father, we, we love the, the carols. Uh, we love the nostalgia of Christmas. We love the family. We love all of it, God. We see those things as gifts from You, but, but help us to not put them higher than the gift of Your Son tonight. I pray that You would exalt Yourself in our eyes, that You would magnify Yourself and, and help us to see how great and how awesome You are and how great and how awesome it is that You came from heaven to earth in a manger and then from the manger to a cross from the cross to a tomb and from the tomb to return to heaven and be exalted and glorified on high. May we worship and adore You tonight pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Why don't you stand again and sing with us. So, so we're making sure that we don't leave the best gifts of Christmas in their packages and forget to use them, right? And so package number one that we want to talk about tonight, it's there in your notes, it's the empty cradle. The empty cradle. And, and the way that we can make sure that we don't leave that in its package is that we would receive Christ's full presence with you. That's the gift that came in an empty cradle. Christ's full presence with you. Make sure that you receive it tonight. So at Oak Hill, uh, this Thanksgiving and Christmas, we've been finishing up a sermon series in the book of Luke, which means that we've been in Luke chapter 24, um, for the past like three or four weeks, so really it's kind of an Easter at Christmas sort of thing. That means that we're studying the end of the story, sort of the end, uh, where normally most churches are studying the beginning of the story in Luke's chapter, chapters 1 and 2. And, and we started this sermon series three years ago, Christmas 2015, and we're just now finishing it up. We've taken a few breaks here and there, but we love to preach God's Word uh, book by book, passage by passage. And so... Um, I thought that tonight would be a great opportunity to see how the whole story of Christ fits together. You ready for a long night? Just kidding. Just kidding. 
But within the first chapter of Luke's Gospel, we see an angel telling a virgin named Mary that she's going to miraculously conceive a child. Luke chapter 1, verses 30 to 33, the angel tells Mary, You shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. Like, hold on to that phrase, Son of the Most High, for just a minute, okay? And as Luke continues his story, Mary gives birth to this child, and she lays him in a manger as her cradle. Uh, The manger was a feeding trough for animals, and you probably know the story well, even if you aren't around church a lot. It's a very popular story. There was no room for them in the crowded Bethlehem town. Uh, The place where they were staying was very crowded, and so that kind of atmosphere forces Mary and Joseph into the first floor of a home where there was a manger where they would have fed their animals and she finds the softest, warmest place that she can possibly put her baby and the loving mother lays him there as his cradle. Meanwhile, the announcement of his birth was told to a bunch of outcast shepherds in a field by a fearsome angel. Luke chapter 2, verses 8-12 to 12 says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. This is such a familiar story to most of us, isn't it? Angels singing to shepherds in a field, a baby in a manger, wrapped in swaddling cloths. We have like little statues that sit in our home that represent all the figures in the story. We call that a nativity set, right? And and there's nothing wrong with those. Don't worry, I'm not going to kill your nativity set. Um, Some families even have a tradition where they leave the manger empty until Christmas Day, and then they bring the baby Jesus and they put him in the manger. I'm not going to kill that tradition either, don't worry can be a good way to anticipate the arrival of the Savior. But we have to make sure that we get the right idea here. We have to make sure that we understand what is happening here. Because we love this story. Like there is just something nostalgic about a baby in a cradle. I mean, this is how we respond to most babies that we meet. Uh, my sister-in-law had a, a, a baby this week, and I'll show you a picture of my wife holding the baby because she's a lot prettier than I am, so you can look at her for a little bit. Um, look at the baby. Don't look at my wife. <laughs> anyway. He's cute, isn't he? Super cute. He's like all floppy and helpless, and he can't do anything for himself. And he's, best of all, like I can just hand him back to his mother when he cries. And so he can't rule over me. Like I can just put him back in his cradle when it's convenient for me. Like I haven't always felt like, like, like my own babies are very controllable, but like definitely somebody else's baby totally controllable, right? I'm not responsible for him. And I often think that the world likes the idea of Jesus as a baby in a cradle. Especially in this culture. Like, like, like we're, we're the culture that's fighting to have our nativity scenes remain in the middle of town, right? Because we love the idea. 
of a baby in a manger as a cradle. It makes him seem cute. It makes him seem helpless. It makes him seem like we can control him. And we're going to sing a song in a few minutes that asks then, what child is this? And who did the angels say was in that manger? The, the Son of the Most High. Christ the Lord, a Savior. The big theological word that we use for this is incarnation. It means that God took on flesh. This is such an important foundational belief to our faith, as we're going to see throughout this night. John said it this way, uh, in what I read earlier, that we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Matthew tells us that Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah that says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call His name Emmanuel, which he wants to make sure that we know what that means. He says, which means God with us. Paul said it this way in Colossians 1, 15 and 19. He said, He is the image of the invisible God. Do invisible things have images? Apparently this one does, right? He is the image of the invisible God. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So Jesus, even as a baby, was God with us. The fullness of glory, the glory of God entered a manger that day in the form of a human infant. Just try to wrap your head around that for a minute. I was reading in Ezekiel chapter 1 earlier this week when Ezekiel saw the glory of God. This is just part of my normal personal time with the Lord and, and, and it, I was just so struck by what he describes there and when I put this together with the Christmas story, it, it, it just made me stand in awe. And so I thought this might be helpful for us as we consider what the authors mean when they say that the fullness of deity, the glory of God, was in this baby. So I just want you to Imagine this as I read this slowly. Allow this to paint a picture. This is what Ezekiel saw when he saw the glory of God, okay? Allow your minds to, to paint this mental picture. He says there was a light, the likeness of a throne. In appearance, like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of a throne was the likeness of a human appearance. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire. And there was brightness all around him, like the appearance of a bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain. So was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. 
And that glory, that high and exalted glory that Ezekiel saw in his vision in Babylon, that glory that can't be described in human words. Like, did you catch that? He's just like, it's like this, and it's like an appearance of this, and I just don't even know how to describe it. Like, this is the best way that I know how. It's so incredible. I so want you to know how amazing this glory was that I saw. That glory, like fire and gleaming metal and brightness and rainbows, like, like that glory entered in to human flesh and was laid in a manger as a cradle. When John says that from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. That's what he's talking about. That's the fullness that he's talking about. His glorious presence brought to us in human flesh, Emmanuel, God, with us. It's just what would make this such a tragedy if we were to leave him in the cradle and go on like his presence makes no difference. Like, I don't know why you came tonight. Maybe you came because you want Jesus to be at the center of your Christmas celebration. I totally hope that's true. Maybe you came because it was a tradition. Or maybe you came to please your family or just just to be with your family. Maybe you came because you like all the warm fuzzies when you see a candle lighting service. But I don't want you to leave tonight without considering who the child in the manger was. God Himself stepped into your existence. He identified with the poorest of poor. He identified with every limitation that you could possibly face. He identified with every weakness and temptation. And He said, I'm here. See the glory of God. And then... He left the cradle empty. He came not merely as a baby. He showed us His glory as a child, growing in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man, fulfilling the perfect law and discussing it with the scribes and the teachers in the temple. He was with us as a teenager and a young man working hard as a craftsman in his father's trade. He showed us His glory as a 30-year-old healing the sick and casting out demons and and teaching about the kingdom of God. And during that entire life, he never once sinned. He fulfilled every one of God's desires in showing us how to live the life that God created us to live. That's glory. I'm not like that. I don't have that in me. Only Jesus. And then he showed us his glory in his death where the perfect love of God meets the holy, righteous wrath of God against sin, and it comes together and gives us the fullness of grace. And finally, He showed us His glory by rising again and ascending to the right hand of the Father. And He promised to be with us always through the presence of the Holy Spirit. 
The very glory of God is indwelling us to worship Jesus as the Savior King if we believe in Him, if we put our faith in Him. God with us. The Shekinah glory of God in you. That's incredible. That's what is offered through the sending of a Savior. Jesus came to the cradle and He left it empty so that He could conquer sin and death and offer His full presence with us. And so here's my challenge with this first package. In your heart and mind, don't leave the baby Jesus in a cradle. Don't leave Him in a manger. Don't allow Him to remain small and manageable and, 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 and a cute little baby. Don't, don't think of Him as just a, a nice part of the Christmas story like a great little tradition that we all tell. Realize that by faith in Jesus, you can access the glory of Jesus at all times. Do you live like that? Do, do you believe that you can do that? How, how would that constant awareness change your life? For my entire life, uh, my family who is here tonight uh, has read Luke chapter 2 on Christmas morning sometime before opening presents. Uh, that's a great tradition, by the way. We carried it into our family. I would commend it to you. If it's not part of your family tradition, probably many of you it is. But it can be so easy to complete the tradition, check the box, and, and then rush into gift giving and meal prep and, and forget that this is the one in the manger who is present with you all day long through His glorious might. So maybe after you put the, the baby Jesus in the manger on Christmas morning, if that's your thing, like if that's your tradition, maybe when it's all done, pick that little baby up and put it in your pocket as a reminder that He's with you always by the presence of His Holy Spirit. Now all your families are going to be fighting over which one gets the baby Jesus in the pocket. However you choose to do this, it's just one idea. Realize that Christ is the gift of God's glorious presence with you. Let's sing. Let's reflect further on the empty cross. Nail spear shall pierce him through the cross he bore for me and you. And so we're moving now to this second package of the empty cross, which is right behind Charlie there. Maybe you can just slide over a little. That way we can reflect on that a little bit. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for playing the bass tonight, too. The cross is empty. Receive Christ's full payment for you. The cross is empty. Receive Christ's full payment for you. Again, John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The Word became flesh, flesh and blood. The, the fullness of God taking on full humanity. We have seen His glory. Now, now here's the incredible thing. 
No one should be able to say that sentence right there. We have seen His glory. Glory is what makes you fall on your face in fear like Ezekiel. Glory is what makes you cry out in anguish like the prophet Isaiah when he said, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And that's the wonder of Christmas. Because God came to dwell among us. He he was making a way for us to see His glory. Our sin had separated us from God. Because of our sin, we had to be cast out of His presence. And the thing that makes the cross have any meaning at all is that Jesus took real flesh and blood to a cross and died. The the fact that He was a real, perfect man sacrificed for us the righteous for the unrighteous. We see this very clearly in the Last Supper that Jesus had with His followers before His death. Uh, They're in the middle of a holiday family meal like many of you will be later this week. It was the Passover meal for them. And and they had become like like a close, tight-knit family. They weren't actually flesh and blood family, but they had become like a very close family. And in the middle of that holiday family meal, Jesus kind of drops a bombshell on them. Like, like happens in some family meals, right? Ever been at that? Luke 22. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after which the, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Catch that. A real body given on a cross. Real blood poured out for us. Understand this. The same flesh and blood that Mary laid in a cradle was the flesh and blood that was given and poured out on a cross. Does that pull the story together for you a little bit? Without the incarnation, without God becoming flesh, the gift of the payment of sin could never be given. But His body would be broken. And He would be beaten beyond recognition. And His blood would be shed as a crown of thorns was pressed down upon His brow. And His hands and His feet were nailed to a cross. And as He hung there, Luke tells us what He said. He said, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they do. Forgiveness. That's why He was born. And that's why He would die. He would live the perfect sinless life and then sacrifice it in order to pay for our sin. He was forgiving our debt. He was reconciling us to God. He was bringing us together with God so that we could see His glory and live like He is ultimate. So if you've ever 
racked up a lot of debt, I just want you to imagine uh, that, that you've racked up an enormous credit card bill of some sort, okay? Just an absolutely, like the size of the federal deficit, okay? Like all on your shoulders, just, just waiting to be paid, and the creditors are coming, right? And you're sitting under the weight of that, and then someone stops by your house on Christmas Day, the creditor says, hey, I'm going to pay that for you out of my own pocket. And they hand you the check and they say, it's free. At first you might be like, I don't believe it. Like, there's no way. I can't imagine that, right? But I guarantee you that once you figure out that that's real, you are not leaving that gift in the package. You are cashing the check. You are paying off the debt. It's going to change you forever. That's what Jesus is doing in the cross. He is forgiving the massive debt that we owe because of our sin. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And remember specifically in that context who he's requesting forgiveness for. He's requesting forgiveness for those who are in the process of crucifying Him. Those who are scoffing at Him and and casting lots for His clothes and, and, and treating Him like He's some nobody criminal. He's offering even to the true criminal beside Him to be with Him on in paradise that very day on the basis of His faith. So here's the bottom line. Jesus died to forgive those who dishonor God and put themselves above Him. And really, that's the essence of our sin too. That's the essence of my sin. That's the essence of your sin. Is that we put ourselves above God. That's why sin is so offensive to God. In our sin, we think that we could do a better job running our lives. In our sin that we think that that we have better ideas about how we should live in this world that God created, how we should live out these in these bodies that that He made for His own pleasure and glory, we're saying, "No, I want to do it my way." In our sin, we scoff at God and mock His ways. But even as we try to take God's place as God. He sent His Son to take our place and to pay for our sin. To die the death that we deserve to die because He was born in flesh and blood. That's the gift of Christmas. Full payment for my sinful life. And He died upon a cross, but the cross is now empty. Like our, our cross does not have a figure of Jesus hanging on it, does it? You ever wonder why that is? That some crosses don't have a figure of Jesus hanging on it, and some that you see do? The emptiness of the cross reminds us that the work is now finished. The payment's been made at a point in history. He's died once and for all. So Luke records that that a guy named Joseph of Arimathea came and he went to ask Pilate if he could have the body. And he took the body and he buried it in a tomb. And and there's women who had followed Jesus for a very long time and they went with him and they took spices and they 
prepared that body for burial. They touched his body. They knew that he was dead. See, the empty cross means that the full payment has been made. The work is finished. It's such a powerful visual to me. It reminds me that Jesus did not sacrifice himself over and over again. He stood in my place once for all at a point in history before I even entered the world. Like, wrap your head around that. He paid for all of my sin before I was even born. And here's why that's important. Because there are those who would rather leave behind the gift of Christ's payment for sin at the cross. Just leave it in the package. And instead try to pay for the sin themselves or, or act like they don't need it. That they don't want to rely upon Christ in all of their life on the finished work that He has done. And so they do this in a, a few different ways. They come up with a list of good works that feel like they earn favor with God. And and so this might be a list that comes from the Bible. It might be going to church. It might be getting baptized. It might be staying away from a certain set of sins. Whatever that list is, like, like the list isn't cutting it, yo. They might come up with a list from a different place, a list from popular opinion. Like if they're just really nice, or really tolerant, or a social justice warrior, then then their good deeds are going to outweigh their bad. And they're just going to get into heaven that way. So maybe they feel really good about not going to church and not doing all the religious things because they feel even better about the other good deeds that they do. Both are the same kind of thing. Both are relying on yourself instead of leaning into Christ. Here's the problem. If we lean into Christ and we recognize our full need for Him, that means that we're dependent upon Him. That means that we can't go through this life without Him. That means that we can't be self-sufficient and we can't be proud. And we can't be all focused on ourselves and trying to do our own thing instead of doing Jesus' thing. But the cross shows us that He has paid it all and He has purchased us with a great and beautiful price. And I don't want you to leave that gift in its package this Christmas. I don't want you to leave the power of cross of the cross at the cross. The real God became real flesh and blood to really die and really pay the price of your sin that you could not pay. So I don't want you to miss the fact that you cannot save yourself. Your sin is too offensive to God. My sin is too offensive to God. You cannot get out of this on your own. It is so offensive and so powerful that God had to send His Son to earth to take care of it for you. He finished the work, and so don't trample on His sacrifice by trying to do it some other way. Instead, turn from your sin and turn from yourself 
Turn from every impulse of your flesh and turn to the finished work of Christ on the cross. What if, on Christmas morning this year, instead of only reading the Christmas story from Luke 2, you also added the crucifixion story from Luke 23? You just kind of incorporated that into your tradition to remember where the story is headed. And you spend time faithfully reflecting on the gift that God has given you in the cross so that you don't leave the payment behind. The cross is empty. Receive the full gift of Christ's payment for you. Let's sing again. Package number three, uh, the tomb is empty. And, and these, these uh, linen claws here represent the, the linen claws that, that, that were such a powerful testimony to Peter that day. It made him marvel because the claws were there, but the body of Jesus wasn't. The tomb is empty, and here is the gift that comes from the tomb. Receive Christ's full power in you. Receive Christ's full power in you. Again, John 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And perhaps nowhere in the life of Christ do we see the glory of Christ more than in the empty tomb. Like we see it in His birth, for sure. We see it in His teaching, and we see His glory in the miracles, and in His perfect moral character. We see His glory in His death on the cross. But all of that is sort of meaningless, isn't it? Without this one fact. That the tomb was empty. The tomb was empty. Jesus walked out of the grave. So remember the story with me one more time. This is what we've been talking about most recently at Oak Hill. The women had buried his lifeless body on Friday, and then on Sunday morning, the body was nowhere to be found. They were, they were confused about this. Where is it? Where's the body? So a couple of angels show up to them and say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. And then they remind them of Jesus' words. How He had promised this and they just didn't get it. And then the light bulb goes off. The Spirit opens their eyes. They run back to tell the others. The others don't believe them. They think it's an idle tale. But Peter runs and he sees the linen cloths lying there. And that was a sign to him that the risen Jesus, that Jesus had really risen. And then by Sunday evening, Jesus had already appeared to a few of his followers individually. Now he's appearing to the whole group. If you were with us this morning, you would have heard us talk about this passage right here, Luke 24, 38 to 43. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? 
Doesn't most of our trouble in life come from not seeing the resurrected Jesus, right? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy, they were marveling. And he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. I want you to think about this for a second. What was the proof of his resurrection to them? That they could see and touch real flesh and real bones and that that body could consume food. Jesus did not rise again simply spiritually. He rose again bodily. And in doing so, He defeated Satan, sin, and death and left them all powerful, powerless. Now think about this. You know where I'm going with this, right? When did Jesus receive a body? At what point did Jesus receive a body? When He was conceived in the womb of a virgin and she gave birth to that body and she laid it in a cradle. That is incredible. That the incarnation is so important even to this fact of an empty tomb. The flesh and bones that was laid in the manger on that first Christmas was the same flesh and bones that the disciples touched to prove that Jesus had defeated death. And it's those same flesh and bones that they saw carried up into heaven where we learn that in the rest of the Bible that He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And He will come and He will sit on a literal throne and He will reign forever and ever. You see, you can't separate Christmas from Easter. You just can't do it. It's not wise to even try. It is an offense to Christ to portray Him lying in a manger while refusing to recognize that He is the powerful King who overcame the grave. Christmas is not just about nostalgia and family and a sweet baby laying in a manger. He left the manger empty to live a perfect life and go die on a cross. He left the cross empty to prove that the work was finished and He entered a grave. And He left the grave empty to prove that He is Lord of all who has the power and authority to sit on the throne of all the universe forever and ever. You get the whole package of Jesus or you don't get Him at all. Like that's not a Jesus that you can just compartmentalize into some little part of your life and say, yeah, I believe. I mean, I, I, I believe. Sure. Prayed a prayer some time ago. I have faith. Not the way it works. 
See, sometimes we can live like the tomb has not been conquered. And we can leave the power of the resurrection in its package. And not access this amazing gift that we have been offered. This grace upon grace that we can receive. And we live like the power of Christ is dead in its grave. We live like fear is more powerful. We live like sin is more powerful. I just can't overcome it. We live like we are more powerful. But Jesus came to prove that He is most powerful. That He is exalted over all things. And He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And He came to powerfully overcome the enemy of your soul. He came to powerfully overcome the sin nature that dwells within you. And the death for which you are destined to die without Him. He overcame it all. And then he made this promise in Luke 24 that his followers would be clothed with power from on high because of his resurrection. Talked about that this morning. That's the the Holy Spirit who came to be the presence of God residing in them. God with them. That's the promise to every person who calls on the name of the Lord by faith. The powerful presence of the same Spirit who rose Jesus from the dead. See, Jesus wants to change your heart tonight. Not just your Christmas morning. Not just your Christmas celebration. He wants to give you a new character. He wants to give you a new purpose for living. He wants to give you a new hope. And He came so that you could experience His power at work in you. That's why we exist as a church. To remind us to remind each other again and again and again of the powerful resurrected Jesus of whom we have been called His body. The powerful resurrected Jesus who has said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me and I will be with you. The powerful resurrected Jesus who is present with us when we gather. Listen, if you don't have a church family to call your own, I would invite you to be with us here and to find the expression of God's power that He's left on this earth through His Holy Spirit at work through the church. That's what He's promised to do in His power. Jesus wants to give you a totally, radically new life that is characterized by His power for His purposes. So maybe this Christmas, uh, Tuesday morning, as you reflect on Luke 2 and the birth of Jesus, now I've added Luke 23, why not just add Luke 24, right? And read the resurrection passages and, and dwell there and remember the power of Jesus to overcome the grave and then consider, like, how does the resurrection of Jesus and His promise of the Holy Spirit give me power to live differently today? Like, how does it change the way that I interact with my family around the dinner table? The attitude that I come to the table with. How does it affect my character? How does Jesus affect the stories that I tell? And the hope that I have? How does the resurrection of Jesus impact the relationships that He's placed into my life and the the purpose that I spend my time on? 
This Christmas, the cradle is empty. Receive Christ's full presence with you. The cross is empty. And and I beg you, receive Christ's full payment for you. The tomb is empty. And I just urge you, don't leave it in the package. Receive Christ's full power in you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I believe that we have seen Your glory in Your Word tonight. I believe that we have seen Your glory in the cradle where You came to be with us. I believe that we have seen Your glory in the cross where You paid the debt that we owe You. I believe that we see Your glory in the empty grave where we see Your power to overcome all things. To be seated at the highest place. So Lord, I pray for anybody here tonight who who does not know You. Who maybe even would say that they believe in You and and would say that, that, that they had some sort of experience along the way, but it hasn't changed a thing for them. And they're still living in their sin and they're still living like you don't matter Lord I pray that they would see how awesome you are and that they would turn to you for the payment that they need and the power to overcome that sin Father for those here who do know you I pray that we would not forget the gifts that we have been so richly given in these three packages And I pray that we would take hold of them and use them for the purposes You intended. Knowing that You are with us. Knowing that You have finished the work. Knowing that You are powerful to accomplish Your mission in our lives. May our lives sing that we give You all the glory name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to Oak Hill Fellowship Church. Stay connected with us by finding us on social media or by joining us Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. Until then, remember that you are loved.